if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has placed a crown upon your head. He really has. You are majestic. You are royal. You are a prince or a princess. God has made you part of his royal family. You're a chosen generation, his own special people. God has made you special as a follower of Jesus Christ. But you know what? The enemy does not want you to know that you're majestic. The enemy does not want you to realize that there's a crown on your head. As long as Satan can keep you thinking like you're not royalty, keep you thinking like you're not really somebody special, you know what? Unfortunately, we're more than likely going to act that way. Satan wants you to believe that you're nobody. Satan wants you to believe that your life does not matter. He wins when you begin believing that because you know what? You'll begin acting like nobody. You'll begin acting like your life does not matter. But I want you to hear today and I want you to know today that God has a very special plan for your life. You are special. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you in his own image. And God, listen very carefully, God has a purpose for your life. God has a reason for you being here. And God desires to do everything in his power and give you the equipping and give you the ability to do those things. God does not always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. And listen very carefully, you're called. I'm not sure where you're called to go or what you're called to do, but I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's holy word that you are called. You are set apart before you're formed in your mother's womb. God did that. God has a special plan for your life. I want you to know this morning that Satan is going to do everything in his power to keep you from understanding that you're royalty. He's going to do everything he can to keep your future locked up so you never realize your potential, never realize what, he ha what God has for you. Satan wants to keep you confused. He wants to keep you distracted. He wants to keep you defeated so you never fully understand what you have. But God's saying, hey, I'm in control here. You know, it's all a matter of us giving God control. It's all of us, uh, all, uh, all, all we can do to surrender what we are to Jesus Christ and let him know that he is truly the Lord of my life. I've seen this for years, that a lot of people want him to be Savior because they realize, you know, when I die, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But God has heaven on earth for us. He tells us in John 10.10 10, that I've come that you may have life and more abundantly. God wants to know that he can give you an incredible blessing in this life. It doesn't have to wait till you die. In fact, he wants you to live that life today. He wants you to live like you're a king. Live like you're part of a royal family. Live like you realize there's a crown on my head waiting to be crowned when I get to heaven one day. That I am truly majestic. You have something that Satan does not have. Any thoughts? You have something that Satan does not have. You have God's authority. Think about that compared to whatever Satan might have or not have. You have God's authority. Because you have God's authority, He's also going to empower you to use that authority. Scriptures in the Bible we read about all the time, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing is impossible with God. If God is for us, who can be against us? We've heard those scriptures over and over. Our church verse, now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That power, what is that? That's the authority of God. And that's his empowerment in our life to see great and mighty things by his name. There's too many followers of Jesus Christ walking around there defeated. They're walking around there not realizing how special they are. They're not realizing that I've got God's authority in my life. 
I also got God's empowerment in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do great and mighty things in God's name. And He wants us to do that. You know what really kind of, I guess, bugs me might be the word to use? It's the fact that we have all this authority and it's sitting there dormant on the shelf. Why is that? Why is America in the shape it's in today? And I'm not going to go down that road very far, but think about it. We have the authority based on God's holy word, based on the power of the Holy Spirit, to change our nation, to take our nation back from the atheists and from all the false religions out there. God has called you and I to do great and mighty things. Back in Exodus 7, you probably remember that story. Moses was being called out by God to go to Egypt and free the Israelites. Well, a lot of people have labeled Moses the whining prophet because he didn't want to go. He had all kinds of excuses not to go. He, could, he wanted to tell God that, you know, I can't speak very well. You know, who do I say sent me? God answered all those questions for him. God said, tell him, I am sent you. He found, before he went, though, God also told him, listen, when you go, I shall make you like God to Pharaoh. He wasn't saying you're going to be God. He's going to say you're going to have my authority and my empowerment. But he's saying, because Moses was nervous about Pharaoh, man, he was the ruler of the strongest nation in the world that time. How can I go up against Pharaoh? God's saying, because you're going on my authority and in my power. It doesn't matter how big yours and my Pharaoh is in this world. We're operating in God's authority and operating with God's power. God has empowered you to do great mighty things. You are majestic. We've been studying the book of Colossians. We're going to get into that this morning. But the Apostle Paul had great concern that the Colossian church, like all his churches, were going to miss it. He wanted them to know that it's about Christ and Christ alone. He wanted them to know that your life is complete in Christ and all the things we're going to be studying and already have studied. He's also going to tell us how to live this life, how to walk this life. And I'm so thankful that God gives us His Holy Word for you and I to have an instruction manual how to get through this world. We live in a tough world. We live in a hard world. But God has given us the authority to overcome. He says we're more than conquerors. He wanted the church of Colossae to know God. He also wanted to direct them to grow. And he gave us great instructions. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. If you find your way there this morning, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Colossians 2, verse 4. He says, Now this I say, lest any, anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Persuasive, persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, I, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with great thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, I pray this morning, Father, every one of us, Father, would leave here different than the way we came in, Father. But also, Lord, we'd realize some of those things that are coming against us in the world, Father. But we also, Father, pray more than that, we'd realize the things that hold us strong. Father, first and foremost, your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for each person here today. Father, bless them where they're at. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I mentioned a moment ago some of us went to promise uh, to the Noble Warriors yesterday and had a great time. But one of the questions one of the first speakers asked yesterday was, uh, how many times have you learned something twice? How many times have you learned something twice because you didn't learn it the first time? 
Well, your old pastor here has learned things four and five times because I didn't learn it the first three and four times. But the Apostle Paul realized that. He realized we're going to need to hear things over and over. Jesus Christ as well. There's mention and been a study in Jesus Christ's teachings that he spoke some, some things in the Bible there seven or eight times. Spoke about money more than anything in the Bible. Why was that? Because he realized that we'd have a little struggle with money and things. Talked about love. And, but he, Jesus Christ repeated himself as well because he realized we're going to struggle in learning. The Apostle Paul, though, says in Philippians 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. But for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Paul was letting the church at Philippi at that point, but he's also letting the church at Colossae here know, I don't have a problem writing over and over the same things because I want you to get this. Over and over, Paul prayed for those churches that they'd know God, that they'd continue to grow. Paul himself said, grow and be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Peter said the same thing. Grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. They realized it's important for you and I as Christians to grow. Sometimes we have to learn things over and over again until we finally get it. I've seen that many times at church. I've heard those verses over and over. Now I get it. Now I realize what that verse means. I realize what you're trying to teach me here. Paul begins this little part of Scripture with talking about deception. Deception is truly our greatest enemy. Let me ask you a personal question this morning. Don't have to answer out loud. You can if you like. But have you ever been deceived? Have you ever been deceived? Let me make it easy for you. All sin comes from deception. Think about that for just a second. All sin comes from deception. Even a little two-year-old child saying, did you eat that cookie? No. No, I didn't. No. What's that? That's deception. That child is trying to deal in deception and realize that if I can deceive my mother or my dad from telling them no, then I won't get punished for taking the cookie without asking. You know, it's, it's amazing. The greatest enemy that we have is deception. Paul realizes this, and he wants us to understand that Satan is the great deceiver. Satan doesn't really have any new tricks today, but he has great strong tricks that we fall for all the time. Deception is the biggest one. Satan always wants us to not see God as who he is. He wants to underestimate the Word of God. He wants to destroy the Word of God in our minds. He wants to destroy the image of God. I want you to think about this for just a second. You know, there's all kinds of social issues that we face in this world today. Phenomenal social issues that we as believers in Christ realize are not right. They're wrong. The abortion issue, that's, that's a blasphemy against God, killing babies. The homosexual agenda, the transgender agenda, the pornography programming agenda in this world today. You know, those are serious issues, but you know, the bigger tactic, the bigger strategy that Satan has in all these things is to destroy the image of God. That God's truth here doesn't matter because I know better for myself. I can explain these things in a greater way. These are serious issues, but the greatest issue that Satan is all about here right now is to destroy the image of God that we don't understand who he is. That we don't worship the God the way we need to worship him and realize that he is truth. That he is a great creator. That he's a great provider. All the things that we know about God. He wants to destroy our image of God. And that's happening in America today. Only 20% of Americans go to church on Sunday. How come? Because we don't have a right perspective and a right image and a right understanding of who God is. We miss him. Because Satan has been good at his job. Let me ask you this for a second. Why does Satan deceive? You ever thought about that? Why does he want to deceive? I can tell you very easily why. Satan didn't create anything. 
He's never created anything. Never will create anything. He doesn't. So he gets his joy in doing all he can trying to steal, kill, and destroy what's already been created, what God created. Because he's not going to create anything. But he wants to take what God has created in his image, what God has created in his beautiful handiwork of this creation, and destroy it and steal it and kill it from you and I. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy it. says that. Listen very carefully. He's very good at it. Just to kind of give you a little picture of how good Satan is, you know what? Old Lucifer was an angel one time, rebelled against God because he began thinking he was bigger than God. He was just as big as God. Who's God? I'm, I'm Lucifer. Thought himself somebody important. And he led, the Bible tells us, a third of the angels out of heaven. You've got to be good at your job. Really? A third of God's precious angels he led out of heaven? He's good at deceiving. He deceived God's angels. So how easy are we to be deceived? Pretty easy. These are angels that lived in heaven alongside God. And Satan, Lucifer, tricked him into leaving heaven. I said it a minute ago, but I want you to understand that Satan has no new tricks. He has no new strategies. His strategies have been around all the way back to the Garden of Eden, how he deceived Eve and Adam from eating that fruit. Think about just for a moment Satan's strategies about deception, how he does it. What's his tactic? First and foremost, he wants, to discern, he wants to distort what God says. He wants us to not understand God's word. He wants to distort it. He wants to change it. Think about this. Satan uses the same words, but he has a different dictionary. Okay? They don't mean the same things coming from the enemy that they mean from God, but he uses them. There's false religions in our community. It's not like the false religion over in India or Afghanistan or someplace. There's false religions in our committee. And I'm here to tell you the easiest way to find out if it's a false religion or not is to ask them to describe Jesus Christ. Many people can't. It's sad, though, many people in the Baptist church can't either. But false religions, if you go out there and get confronted, a lot of them come and knock on your door. The easiest thing to, to do to figure out what they're all about is, hey, tell me who Jesus Christ is. In the, many of the false religions, he's not the Son of God. They use the name Jesus Christ, but he's not the Son of God. He's a very wise man. He's just another one of the angels. All kinds of different things like that, but he's not the Son of God. You know, another thing that Satan does is he questions God's motives and his purpose. Was God serious when he created marriage between a man and a woman? What does God's word say about that? Satan wants us to be all confused, and he's doing a great job in America today, about what's truth and what's not truth. In fact, as you know, there's a whole segment of our society that does not believe there's absolute truth. Well, we know that's ludicrous, too. Is there truth about gravity? Is there truth about mathematics? There's truth about all kinds of things, but they don't want us to believe that there's truth about God. But it's kind of how you feel. They call it universalism. How I feel about God is kind of what is good. Whatever I believe is what's true. Not what the Bible says. Finally, Satan doesn't want us to believe the truth. He wants us to refuse the truth. James 1, verses 16 and 7 says, says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, for every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Listen. If you cannot connect the dots between the gift you're experiencing and God, then you kind of need to figure out, is this the deception of my life? Because God is the one that gives every... It doesn't say some good and perfect gifts. He says every good and perfect gift comes from God. 
So if I don't want to be saved, I need to start looking at these things. Am I looking at this as kind of a gift? No. If it's not coming from God, it's not worthy of heaven. I'm not saying that some things in this world aren't good to have. We need houses and some of these things that the world creates. But you know what? Who gives them to us? God. God provides me. I need to make sure that he gets the glory for what I have there. <coughs> Excuse me. There's two stories I want to look at. There's a, there's a dozen stories. There's many stories, more than a dozen. Many stories in the Bible right now that talk about deception. But I want to pick out two this morning, kind of just illuminate a little bit further for us to understand. It's huge there. Paul put it here. Uh, deception is talked about through the whole New Testament here, not to be deceived. But Paul finds it very, very important to make sure before he tells us how to live a right life that we understand, do not be deceived. The first great deception was in the very beginning of the Bible. We all know that one, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given the Garden of Eden. I mean, there's never been a more beautiful place to live, and God gave it to Adam and Eve. And said, hey, I only have one rule for you here. See that tree over there, the one right in the middle of the garden? Do not eat the fruit from that tree. See, everything else is yours. The whole garden is yours. Really, God? Thank you so much. <coughs> you're you're, you're, you're in, 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 in charge of the entire creation here. You're over the entire creation. I set you here to rule the creation here. But do not eat that one tree. Why did God do that? Why didn't he just give them that last tree? He wanted to test them. He wanted to see, do you truly love me? Are you truly wanted to be an obedient partner in this ministry, in this, in this creation here? Do you really want to love me and show me that you love me? I got one request. One simple, eat every other tree. Eat it all. Just don't eat from that one tree. <coughs> well, they failed. <coughs> Why? They failed because Satan, the enemy, the serpent at that time, deceived them. <coughs> Excuse me. Deceive them. I want you to hear this this morning. The greatest guard that you and I have against deception, the greatest guard we have is revealed truth, not communicated truth. Who told Eve not to eat from the tree? Adam. God didn't talk to Eve about it. God told Adam not to eat from that tree. Then Adam told Eve. Listen very carefully. We get deceived when we begin getting our information, when we begin living our life based on what man says, communicated truth, as opposed to revealed truth, God's truth. When we begin getting serious about understanding God's Word, begin getting serious about reading God's Holy Word, we get serious about falling in love with God's Word, do you know what He does? He reveals the truth to us. What does that mean? It means I not only read it, and it's not only communicated from words on the page, but it becomes who I am. I believe His Word. It's revealed to me in such a way as I begin living this Word. You may be asking this morning, what happened to Adam? He heard it from straight from God. I'll talk about that in a second. But Eve got secondhand information. I want to show you some this morning. This comes from the Baltimore Sun. It says, praying for somebody who is ill, preparing to go under risky medical procedures, appears to have no effect on the patient. That's the finding of one of the largest scientific investigations on the power of prayer to date. Really? You know, did you all go all the way back to, and talk to Adam and Eve and these guys? But here it is. Prayer didn't influence patients' health, study says. Really? I mean, I could ask probably anybody in this room right now to stand up and tell me about it. I've got Miss Jean over here shaking her head. Yes, she knows God answers prayers. I believe most of you in this room have had an experience personally or you know somebody that did that we prayed for them and, man, they came out. How many people read this article and say, see, I know. That's why, I want, that's why I'm not going to church because prayer doesn't do anything. Really? How easily we are deceived by something. If it's in the paper, it must be true. <laughs> uh, I'm almost on the opposite end of the spectrum. If it's in the paper, it's probably not true. 
But we need to come to understand that the greatest, greatest defense we have against deception is to know God's Word. And know it in such a way as it's who I am. I stand on God's holy word. There's no question in my mind that God's word is true, that God has given us his truth. And I'm going to stand and live my life for his glory based on that truth. I'm not going to, I've been deceived. I've deceived myself before. Satan has two methods of deception. I'm going to share the other story in just a second. But thinking about Adam and Eve here, his two main ways of deception are beguilement. Beguilement means lead astray, to dupe, to have faulty logic, enticement. It's to seduce by words and bait and lure away and persuade. It's like a persuasive lawyer or a crafty salesman. That's enticement. Man, <laughs> talk me into it. There, we see both elements of deception here. Adam, Adam was just duped. He was sitting there asleep at the wheel. He'd, he'd heard from God and knew what God told him specifically. And should have been revealed truth in his mind because God, Eve, we're not, and that's the sad part about Eve. Adam was standing right there. She ate from that fruit because the serpent told her to. And then she hands the apple to Adam and he takes a bite too. Sad. Adam was beguiled. He was confused. He was duped. He had faulty logic. I don't know what his logic was. There was no logic there. Faulty logic. Where Eve was enticed. The servant lied to her. The servant seduced her by words. He gave her some bait and lured her away from the truth of God, realizing, hey, you can be just like God if you eat this fruit. Eve was enticed. I want you to understand deception in the realm of how we handle these things, too. Deception, I'm sorry, enticement a lot of times will lead to ensnarement. And ensnarement will lead to enslavement. I've seen it over and over. It's sad. I see people walking with the Lord and trying to live a good life and teaching Sunday school, all kinds of things. And they get enticed all of a sudden to do something that's totally morally wrong. And then all of a sudden they take a few more steps and it's, they're ensnared, you know, kind of really drawn to this thing right now. Then all of a sudden they find themselves enslaved by it. And they're involved in something they should have never got involved in. But it all started all the way back because they got enticed. You know, this looks good. Or, man, that person made me feel good, you know. Even though I'm married, that person makes me feel better than my wife does and my husband does. Whatever it might be. We get enticed. And we need to come to understand God's holy word and understand that Satan is crafty. Satan is walking around like a roaring lion waiting to see who can devour him. Listen very carefully. Waiting... Uh, Satan wants to destroy your life. Deception destroys. Satan uses deception to do what? To destroy your life, to destroy your family. That's his target. That's his main desire. I told you there was a second story about this. I want you to realize deception happens because of beguilement. We get confused and our logic's not right. It also happens because we're enticed. We get deceived because we're enticed. Well, there's another story here about deception. Remember the prodigal son? Man had two sons, and the younger son said, Hey, Dad, you know, if it would be okay with you, can I get my inheritance? Because I want to go off and kind of sow my wild oats. I don't know if he said it like that. But he wanted to go away. I want to move home. Dad, you know, I appreciate it here, God, living in my father's house and living here with my father and being blessed by my father and having all the things I need. But I want my money if I can. I want to go away and check it out. Went away to the far city. Squandered all his money on all the wrong things. Woke up one morning in a pig pen. He realized, you know, I eat better, they eat better at home, the slaves that work for my dad, than I'm eating right here, eating this pig mess. And the Bible says, and I love this verse, he says, he came to himself. You know what that means? All of a sudden, he no longer had faulty logic. He was all, no longer was enticed by the world. He realized, I want to be in my father's house. So he went home. 
He was deceived, though, by the world. He was deceived to do things that he should have never done because he was open to deception. He didn't realize what he had in his father's house. Didn't realize how good it was. He thought the grass looked greener. Why did he do it? That's exactly it. The grass looked greener. One of the biggest ways that you and I get deceived is because we think the grass looks better over there. How many marriages have faltered because the married couple decides they're not happy with this mate? I'm going to go out and find me a new one. I think I deserve a new one, one that will make me happier, or one that's prettier, or whatever, or more handsome, whatever it might be. We're deceived, though, because we think the grass is greener on the other side. We think that I can do better than what God has already given me. Many times Satan will make the grass look greener on the other side in your mind. But I want you to tell me, I want you to know that when your mind thinks that way, you don't have the mind of Christ, okay? You have faulty logic. You're not living where you need to be living. You're being enticed away from what God's best plan for your life is. Part of our existence with God Almighty should be a desire to be right in the center of His will. There's no place that I'm more happy than right in the center of God's will. I want to be there. We need to realize, though, that Satan doesn't want us there. Why? Because you're going to do great and mighty things for God. You're going to live a life that brings glory to Him. You're going to have a marriage that brings glory to Him. You're going to have a family that brings glory to Him. Satan does not want that. Satan is going to do everything he can to get you out of the center of God's will. It's to move you away. I think you're getting the idea right now that the deception is huge. It's the greatest tool the weapon that Satan has right now is to deceive us. He wants to undermine your identity. He doesn't want you to realize your identity in Christ. He also wants you to listen very carefully. He wants you to question the sufficiency of Christ. Do I really have all I need in Jesus Christ? No, I don't because I've got to go out and do some of this stuff myself. You know, I've got to take care of these things myself or go search for these things myself or go do these things myself. Or I don't know that God knows the best in this situation because he's not me down here. No kidding. He's far beyond where you are. He knows things far beyond you'll ever know. He knows the future. Why would I want to be a path in my life that doesn't end up in the future where God's taken me? Why would I want to do anything in my life that would shortcut that? Why would I want to do anything in my life that would cause me to miss out on what God has for me? That's one of my great fears in my life right now. Not really fear, but concerns probably. I want to make sure I don't miss what God has for me. I don't want to miss the things that God has chosen for me, that God has laid apart for me and aside for me. I want to understand what God has. I want to share this one last thought about this. We're going to move on. Satan wants to satisfy your wants with the counterfeit. Do you hear that? He didn't want to satisfy your wants and your needs with God's things, the right things, the holy things. God, Satan wants to satisfy your needs and your wants with the counterfeit. What's the easiest way to, for us to understand that? It's to know what's real. What is real? I've shared it many times before, but Secret Service agents understand real money. So when they see counterfeit, they recognize it right away. That's counterfeit because I know real money so well, I recognize it in an instant. Am I that kind of person that follows God and His Holy Word and understands the counterfeit as soon as I see it? There are so many things today. How about marriages in America today? Many people would say, I deserve to be happy. No, you don't. You deserve to be holy because God is desiring us to be holy. 1991, I left the church. I've been a Christian since late 60s. I left the church. I was building my corporation called American Entree. I had two restaurants and a sports bar. 
my past life. But I left the church. And I left God. For more than three years, I didn't go to church. I'd been going to church every Sunday. Part of a Sunday school class. Part of the leadership in that Sunday school class for a lot of years. Left the church. I deceived myself thinking this is important. It was important to my family to build this big company and make a lot of moolah so I can take good care of my family and give them nice things and houses. I mean, I was so far deceived, it was unbelievable. And I'm ashamed to admit that today, but I want to share that with you because, hey, it happens every day. My job's more important than my God. That's what I was, I didn't think that, but that's what I was doing. You know, sad as it could be too, there was a couple years in that life of that corporation that I had a ton of money. I mean, I had a ton of money. You know how much that money I gave the church? Not a, not a penny. I was too busy. I was collecting that money for me. Collecting it for me. The Bible is very clear about that. Why are you collecting it for me? You're robbing God. It says in Malachi 3. I missed God for more than three years. I've missed him before, too, for a short period of time. But that's the longest stretch of the Christian that I really missed God. I just left him behind because this is more important. My job and my company was an idol in my life. I, mean, I lived for that thing. I, I worked way too hard. I was working 18 hours a day or so, seven days a week, no days off. Didn't take a day off for more than a year. How stupid is that? I mean, missed my family, young kids, brand new babies. Missed it. We're so easily deceived. How about not going to church and not serving the Lord and not sharing my faith? You know, we're, we're deceived that that's not important. We're deceived, we're deceived that... You know, God doesn't always say that in his word. It doesn't apply to me. It says it there, but, you know, we, we have all kinds of reasons. Oh, the pastor can do that or deacons. have all kinds of reasons. Paul tells us not to be deceived. He tells us that Satan is trying to destroy the image of God. He's trying to destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to destroy your, your, your marriage. Paul understood these things. He preaches it in a number of his books. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Moving on, verse 5. Listen to this. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He tells us here in verse 5, one of the ways that we can resist deception. We can resist it by being of good order, standing steadfast in our faith. These terms, if you look them up in the Greek, and Paul was very familiar with the military life there. He lived around the Roman uh, guards and Roman military all his life, but it's a military term, and it talks about having solid ranks of soldiers drawn up for battle. Be in good order and have steadfastness. That we need to be an army. God's called us out to be an army. He tells us in Ephesians 4, Paul, verse 22 through 24, says that you're brand new in Christ. He says this, that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. What is he saying to us right here? That God has given us this brand new life that we can let go of the old life. But we drag that old life all around with us. Listen very carefully. We can't blame God for baggage that we won't let go of. Many times we're carrying this stuff and we wonder why my life's not going where it needs to go. Why isn't God blessing my life like the other people's lives? Or why aren't I growing the Lord? Because we won't let go of the old baggage, the old man. We like carrying that old man around with us. Paul is telling us here that be steadfast. Be an army. Be strong moving forward. I'm here to tell you, if you ever in the military, you realize when you go into battle, you only take what you need. You don't drag along TV sets and stereo systems and all stuff. You carry what you need. Most of it's ammunition because you realize I'm going to be fighting the enemy. I need to take my sword of the spirit right here. 
Because why? Because I'm going to fight the enemy every single day of my life. I don't want to fight him, but you know what? He's at battle against me, so I'm going to make sure that I'm strong. I'm going to make sure that I'm not sitting there in a defenseless position. I'm going to go on the offense against him. I'm going to knock down some gates of hell. I want to be used of God. In 2005 and 2006, at a United States Marine Corps forward operating base outside Ramadi, Iraq, there's a sign as you leave that base, as those, as those Marines left to go out on patrol and go out on, on insurgency actions, there's a sign that said, Complacency kills. Complacency kills. What does complacency mean? It means indifferent with life. It means lack of feeling. It means not willing to improve. It means looking back and not looking forward. It means that I'm happy with the old life. I, I, I enjoy that old life. You know what? One of the great ways you can see that you're still kind of confused with the old life and the new life? When you believe that the past is, gonna, is much better than the future can ever be. That's, that's living in the old life. That's having that old life in your, in your life and not letting go of it, not letting go of that baggage. God has called us out to this brand new life. Complacency kills more hearts and more minds. Complacency bankrupts more businesses. Complacency wrecks more marriages. Complacency destroys more nations than any other factors combined. Complacency does all that. Listen very carefully. In the essence, what Paul's talking about here, if you're not constantly advancing, if you're not constantly improving, if you're not constantly growing, listen very carefully, you're dead, okay? You're dead. You're an easy target for Satan. Satan's going to have havoc in your life. God has called you and I to be of good order. He's called us to be steadfast in the faith, and that takes work. It takes discipline. But it takes a mental attitude that I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to grow. I believe your pastor believes 100% that one of the biggest problems in the American church today is people are not growing the way we need to grow. There are people growing, but as a collective church, are we really growing? You can ask yourself right now. Do I see myself in a different situation with Christ today than I did a year ago? Have I grown? Let me get even more personal. Am I different, more different today than I was last week? That's how fast I'm growing. That's how I want to grow. I want God to show me new things every day when I get in my Bible. I want Him to teach me new things as I reach out to people and I minister to people. I want Him to show me things. Let me see new things. Look at verses 6 and 7 for just a moment. It says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. He's telling us here to walk in the light. You know, unfortunately, though, too many times we've bent over so far to embrace the world that we've actually fallen in. We look more like the world than we do like God. More like the dark than we do like the light. In verse 7, he says, rooted, up and built it up, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I love the fact he's telling us here that grow in grace. Grow in grace and glory to be to God that you can do that. Be thankful for what he's saying here. Be thankful that you're growing in the Lord and that you have an opportunity to grow in Him. See greater things and learn how to be a better husband or a better wife every day, a better parent every day. Learn more things from His Holy Word and wisdom from Him to do a better job leading my family. It's not always in the mountaintops that we're going to find out who we really are. Most of the times it's going to be in the valleys. When we're going through hard times and we go through, go, go through the altars, the Bible tells us, God tells us that it's in His strength. His strength is going to be made perfect in our weakness. It's when we're weak that we see God's strength. I want to conclude with this thought. 
Look at verse 5 for just a second again. It says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm in prison. Paul wrote this letter from a Roman jail. Paul also knew that his time was at hand. He knew he wasn't going to be around much longer. He realized that he could be departing any time now. Do you know what's awesome about this letter? Paul wasn't discouraged. Paul was fired up. He was excited about sharing with that Colossian church that they might realize what he knows about Jesus Christ and what he had on his heart and what God had put on his heart to share with them. He was so fired up, he wanted them to be rooted and built up. He wanted them to be established in their faith, but he also wanted them to give great thanksgiving for that and for thanksgiving for Jesus Christ. He was fired up that they might know God. They might continue to grow. But he wanted them to be rooted and grow up. He wanted them to be steadfast and of good order. He wanted them to be Christian soldiers. January 8, 1852, Her Majesty's troop ship called the Brokenhead set sail for South Africa. There were 640 men, women, and children on that British troop ship. Most of them were troops. They were taking some of their families with them for the new station assignment in South Africa. At 2 a.m. on February 28th, the Brokenhead struck a ledge off Cape Danger. Everybody rushed to the decks above and they began yelling out women and children first. And a young 38-year-old lieutenant colonel, British soldier, called all the troops to get in formation and stand there at attention as the ship was sinking, as the ship's crew was loading the women and children in the boat. Stood there at rigid attention watching these things. Absolute obedience to authority. Absolute obedience to the commands of that lieutenant, young lieutenant colonel. He realized it could be chaos because that ship was going down quick. That ship went down in 20 minutes. Almost that entire 20 minutes, though, that two regiments of British soldiers stood on the back side of that ship at rigid attention as they loaded women and children into those boats. They went down with that ship. Not a single woman or child perished that night. They all lived. Most of those soldiers died. They went into the water. The water was infested with man-eating sharks. And if they didn't die with the ship and didn't die in the cold water, they died from shark attacks. A few of them lived. What was really a horrendous, horrible event saw God's glory. No greater love than this that a man give his life for a friend. Those soldiers stood there, obeyed orders, in the midst of knowing that they're probably going to die. They stood there that others might live. That's the kind of steadfastness. That's the kind of good order. That's what God is looking for from you and I. You know, it really behooves us. It really speaks well to us understanding life and understanding the depth of life to do those things. Why? Because we're such easy targets from the enemy to deceive us. But when I'm standing strong, when I'm living in such a way as willing to give my life for somebody else, give my life for Jesus Christ, you know what? I'm a lot harder target for Satan to deceive. We have an incredible opportunity to live our lives for God's glory and not be duped, not be deceived, not be enticed because I'm standing strong to God's holy word. And God's holy word is not something I know. 
It's something I live, and it's me. It's my DNA, God's holy word.